Hey, y'all. Welcome to part two of our conversation with our amazing speaker on the Do The Change podcast. We're going to hop right back into the conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spotify page, and follow us on Instagram at Do The Change Podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to see more. I'm excited to hear about more um, presentations, research presentations. Um, So that's just awesome. And now I'm going to shift to where you're working right now, which Mm -hmm. is with the Commonwealth Healthcare Corporation. Um, can you one talk more about like this is my first time hearing about it, and mm-hmm. also um, how did you even come across the opportunity? Yeah, uh, so the Commonwealth Healthcare Corporation is based in the CNMI, so Commonwealth of Northern Mariana Islands. It's a U.S. Mm-hmm. territory, um, so people who are born there are U.S. citizens, um, mm-hmm. but it's in the Pacific, south of Japan, and north of Papua New Guinea. And the Commonwealth Healthcare Corporation is a healthcare corporation or a healthcare company that provides a majority of the healthcare to people who live on the island. Um, There's about 42,000, if I'm correct, um, people who live on the island. Mm -hmm. So for this project, I'm working on a data analysis project where we look at um, results from the, I think it's the 2021 uh, CNMI hybrid study and looking at access to family planning on the island. So whether people are able to access the family planning me- measures that they want or the, the types of family planning that they want mm-hmm. um, and the rate at which it's used. Gotcha. Okay. That's really, it's just, it's just super niche. Like it's just super cool. Um, no, I feel like it's so yeah. interesting. Sorry, I just interrupted. No, you. go ahead, girl. Uh, but I feel like in undergrad, like being in global health, I thought like coming into Berkeley, I really wanted to focus on domestic health, which I do. But yeah. it's interesting being able to use what I've learned mm-hmm. in grad school, focus on domestic health to a kind of, it's a U.S. territory, but it's also like outside of the U.S. So like a yeah. domestic while still being kind of global, global lens. It's It's been great so far. Yeah, and I think that the fact that you first experienced public health through a global lens um, mm-hmm. from like your undergrad and then kind of going into domestic, I feel that sometimes just, and I can speak from my experience of going the other direction is harder because you're so um, conditioned or trained in a domestic lens that when you even start thinking about global, you really have to like practice that skill of removing a lot of different one privileges we have just being a U.S. born citizen and also just being in the U.S. Um, and just what comes with that when you're trying to think about global health outside the U.S. So um, yeah I'm excited to really like hear more about that because that's just it's super niche I guess but it's also really cool um, and I'm sure that folks who um, just live on islands experience health in just a totally um different way um so with that i also do want to shift to um talking more so about like salary and like networking and things of that nature um so i guess my question is can you share any personal experiences or stories about one like navigating salary discussions and then also just how you um, found these opportunities. Are there any resources that you have or any like ways you went about locating, um, yeah, like job opportunities and yeah, things like that. Yeah. I will say that net, not networking, negotiation, salary yeah. negotiation is something I've learned in graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I feel like that's not something I did previously. That's probably bad. I should have done it. Oh, that's <laughs> all good. <laughs> but it's something like in my program, we really were taught, especially in our public health leadership classes about salary negotiation, how it's really a discussion between you and the hiring manager. Yeah. Um, so I'll say in terms of negotiation for post-grad specifically, hmm. so I feel like my positions that I held during graduate school, those for the most part, we're kind of set stipends. So there okay. was not really much negotiation. Yeah. One of my positions, however, was one that I was super excited about. So it was very aligned with what I wanted to do. And also that was the first time negotiating. So that was a position where like they gave me like a, a hourly wage. And since I've done previous work similar mm-hmm. to job responsibilities, that was kind of like a leveraging point that I could use. Yes. Um, so if there's any tips I could give in that kind of scenario, um, it would be kind of holding off your excitement, like great that you got the job, everything. But for me, I feel like I used to jump the gun and just immediately accept the job before even talking about like whether there is a range and what they'd accept or what they're able to provide. Yeah. Um, in terms of post-grad, I would say I went about negotiation a little bit differently. Okay. Um, so I think it's been a trend. I'm not sure if it's in other states. I know California jobs are really good with posting the salary range. Yep. And for me, post-grad, this degree was very expensive. <laughs> not going to lie. <laughs> so I did have a certain number or like range in mind of what I would accept for a job. So if a job was, let's say like, like, I don't know, $60,000 less. Or, I don't know, that's kind of like a, a large number, but significantly less than I'd accept in a job. I just wouldn't even apply. Okay. So I really only, I selected jobs that were within the range that I wanted or could be negotiated a little bit higher. Okay. Um. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's been beneficial. I feel like it just saves mm. yourself a lot of work in the long run. Instead of taking jobs, it's way below what you want and trying to get them up, up, up. It's right. better for me, at least in my personal opinion, just starting with jobs who are already within the range of what I want. And the mm-hmm. conversation is a lot easier. You're able to kind of negotiate there. And you know what? I'm really glad you said those two things because that transitions very well into this next segment. This is new, but it's called Ooh. Tea Time with Tyra. And Ooh, I feel okay. like everything that you just shared is... Everything that you just shared is facts, just straight up facts. But I think also when you add the layer of being a person of color or being a Black woman, it just Mm -hmm. takes it to a whole nother level. And so um, I just want to uplift and highlight how negotiating salary is hard and it's uncomfortable, but it's another level of uncomfortability when you're a person of color and you're a Black woman and you're Mm -hmm. trying to get paid the amount you should get paid. And so um, if you're comfortable, do you mind just like talking about maybe if you had any feelings of that, of just, of e- even like combating that feeling of like, okay, like I should be grateful, like I this opportunity, but then also like, no, like I got my degrees. I know what I'm doing. I'm coming in actually overqualified and you need yeah. to pay me as such. Yeah. yeah. You know, I feel like, yes, to all of what you said, mm-hmm. at, having that added layer of one, being a woman, two, being black, right. it's complicated in negotiation I feel like because of like stereotypes or perceptions of black women maybe mm-hmm. aggressive being perceived a certain way right bring that into like salary negotiations and negotiations that can be difficult 
Mm-hmm. I feel like for me, my position so far that I've worked in and will be working in in the future have mm-hmm. been either led by Black women. So that's made it a lot, <clears throat> made me a lot more comfortable. Uh, or okay. has specifically focused on the Black community. So like community health has really wanted to help minoritized communities. Right. I feel like that's given me... One, when I'm negotiating with Black women, that makes me feel a lot more comfortable. Um, right, because they know, yeah, you get you it. You know, and I feel like that's just yeah. like one thing, like I don't have to like navigate. Um, right. But also working, and I probably will, hopefully for the rest of my career, work in issues or work for organizations that focus on community health outcomes. Right. I feel like if you're investing in and trying to genuinely help and improve the health outcomes of community, you're going to be willing to pay people what they're worth. Okay. You know, I feel like that's tea. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. Um, So I feel like in that lens, I'm really not uncomfortable in negotiating. Because you say you want to help Black people, you say you want to help minoritized communities, Mm -hmm. you're working with what they're worth, you know? So, yeah. (laughs) I mean, hey, you said it. It's really that, it's really that simple, but it's made complicated. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want to kind of, further talk about that a little bit more, but kind of, I guess, out of the scope of negotiations, but um, just one, just being a Black woman who has a, just a wide variety of identities um, that intersect. Um, can you also talk about what your experience is like just been, being in um, the field of public health kind of through those different lenses and like, how did you either navigate it or um, in spaces where maybe you had to kind of advocate or create space? How did you kind of go about that? Yeah. I feel like this is another area where I'm grateful to be in the maternal health space. I Mm -hmm. feel like there's so many Black women, Black people in general, who really been trailblazers in maternal health spaces. So following in their footsteps and filling up space that they've created for me. Um, There's so many important organizations, Sister Song, Black Mamas Matter Alliance. There's so many organizations. You know what I mean? So I feel like that made me feel comfortable taking up the space. They show me how to do that in maternal health. Yeah. I will say for this summer, so working with uh, the Commonwealth Healthcare Corporation, um, that's part of like a larger internship with AMCHIPS, mm-hmm. Association of Maternal and Child Health Programs. It's like their summer graduate student yeah. epidemiology program. Okay. I will say navigating epidemiology spaces has been interesting. That's a place where coming from maternal health, going to epidemiology, I really don't Ooh, see people black women yeah um, but I'll say that there's always one like there's always at least one person I'm able to see able to connect mm-hmm. with um and if not knowing that my voice matters just as much as everybody else's and right. not only my voice but the issues that I'm speaking about so pertaining to black birthing people black populations that voice is needed there's a reason why I'm sitting in certain seats there's a reason why I'm in certain conferences or events it's yes. not just for me to be there and show face it's really for me to advocate or uh, advocate alongside um, people in my community. So right. kind of like myself out of the equation, like speak of what needs to be said, like regardless of how people feel about me personally. See, and that that is a life key where it's like, it needs to be said. And I don't like how you feel about me doesn't really necessarily impact of like the truth is the truth or like this needs to right. be said and kind of um, seeing it more so it's like my purpose in this space is to say this. Yeah. Um, and, and I also just want to loop back to what you said about the transition from just <laughs> the MCH department to EPI. Ooh. It's hard. It's mm-hmm. wild. 
And it's always interesting because just epi, just epi in general, epi with minoritized communities, that's a really negative relationship just of how they take advantage of folks. So it's very, um, it always um, makes my head tilt when I'm like, why aren't there more people of color in this space? Because in order to do restorative work in that field, you should probably like involve the communities of that we're taking advantage of first for the sake of study or for the sake of science or for the sake of understanding diseases. Um, syphilis, the easiest one comes to mind of doing that yeah. type of testing as well. Um, so yeah. Okay. One more question. And then I promise we're going to loop onto a more positive note, but I mean, not all tea time is negative, but this is just real. Um, real. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. Oh, girl, I love you. I love you. <laughs> um, so um, the last question, I guess, in this little segment is, how do you see uh, your field kind of um, failing those identities? You talked about how like the lack of diversity, um, but also how do you recommend um, them them going about kind of fixing those wrongs? Um, Ooh. I feel like, I feel like something comes to mind as my work with the SHARE program. So the SHARE program, the evaluation of the abundant, evaluation study of the Abundant Birth Project, and also Mm -hmm. the Abundant Birth Project. I feel like that was my first time really seeing participatory research in action and how good public health and action working alongside community members truly. So I feel like it could be anything from including community members when developing the research question or the research yeah. or the public health intervention, having them have a seat at the table, paid seat at the table where they're compensated for their time. Um, oof. There's Girl, so tell us about the Abundant Birth Project real quick, because I love them. <laughs> yeah, incredible, incredible organization. So they're an organization. Um, it's the first pregnancy supplement program in the entire country. And it started in San Francisco and it gives, in San Francisco, it provided 1,000, no, compensation um, to pregnant people. So Black Pacific Islander pregnant people in the city. And it's since spread to many counties throughout California. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's led by Expecting Justice, which is an organization in San Francisco. Yep. Um, yeah. I'm just like fangirling, like incredible. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fangirl too. So I was like, yeah, yeah. Talk about them. they're awesome. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like it really just showed me my time, like working alongside them. I showed me it's not hard to do participatory research to include diverse uh, voices at the table, and it actually makes your intervention all that more effective and all that more, right. all that more beneficial to people who need it. Right. Um, yeah, and also, yeah. I'm not sure if that answered your original question. But. No, that, I mean, that, that did answer it. And also just got me thinking as well. Like when, when people say, or when people are thinking about like, what does reparations look like? Reparations does look like money should be paying you over their time, but mm-hmm. it also you can go you can really go beyond that. Of, um, particularly like in our field, particularly in EPI, MCAH and just public health and science in general, like titles, quote unquote, titles matter, right? So mm-hmm. hiring a community member and giving them the title as community researcher or researcher so that when they're applying to jobs, they can put, oh, I did research with UC Berkeley or UCSF or whatever. And that is also a way um, to provide reparations. But if they don't, if that's not the reparations they want, then they're more than welcome to be like, actually, I don't want, the, I don't want to be a researcher. I actually just want reparations in the form of money. And you still have to honor that because you can't tell someone how they should get the reparation. But exactly. I think that 
we also can rethink what what reparations looks like or what does different things look like from the lens of community members. And I think the Abundant Birth Project and Expecting Justice and all these different, the SHARE organization, all these different organizations really like reimagine the ways in which you can work with community and not the traditional like cookie cutter. This is higher birth community. You yeah. can do a little better. Yeah. <laughs> a little better. Um, so uh, sadly, we are coming to the end of this amazing conversation. Uh, so first I just want to say, I want to thank you for being open and honest with me and the folks who are going to be listening to this, um, but we're still going to end on a positive note. So um, I want to end with some questions about self-care and any closing thoughts or advice you have for some upcoming change makers. I know, I, you know, I was, I was so excited, y'all. I was so excited to talk to Mariah about self-care because she's a self-care queen. And this is a side note. I'm going to just, I'm going to just plug Mariah. Mariah's also a yoga instructor, a pre prenatal yoga instructor. Right. Okay. Yeah. So she is the self-care queen. So I'm excited to hear about her advice. So first question is what advice would you give to young professionals or aspiring leaders regarding the importance of self-care and how can they incorporate self-care practices into their lives while pursuing their goals and ambition? Ooh, ooh. This is I a was, great I question, made this question just for you. You, I want you to answer this. You know, I feel like I kind of learned through a process like trial by fire. I feel like grad Girl, school was fire. a trial, literally trial by fire, like the crucible. Oh. <laughs> like grad school was a time because I feel like I was so passionate literally about my field. I love maternal health. I love black maternal health. I was like learning about it. Yeah. So I felt like I wanted to dip my hand into so many different pots. There mm -hmm. was a time, not to put myself, not to read myself, but this past year where I may or may not have been working like six jobs at once, like Jeez. just all things yeah. I was genuinely interested in, but just burning the candle at both ends. Like I had no capacity oh. to do good work. It felt like really in anything, or mm -hmm. at least in my like, perception. So I'll say I learned by experience what my capacity is. I feel like sometimes we need to learn like what not to do to know what to do. <sighs> I will say, I think like slow and steady really wins the race. Like yeah. at least for me and how I view maternal health work, public health work, I really see it as like a lifelong career, something I always want to work in, at least for mm -hmm. now. So I know like there is time, life is long, there is time, you know, being able to sit with certain experiences to be fully present in one thing without having a million things on your to-do list makes you not only more effective, but also can open your eyes to what to, what to do in the future can make you more creative. Mm -hmm. I'll say also surrounding myself with people, with managers, supervisors who feel the same way as me. So people mm -hmm. remind me like, hey, it's okay to take time off. It's okay to take holidays for people who have the same work-life balance desires that I have. Mm -hmm. Also, what I say? I also say I realize specifically for public health and the work that I do, it doesn't make sense for me to advocate for Black women, Black birthing people, Black people in general, their health outcomes while harming my own health in the process. Like that just doesn't work, you know? So I feel like I really have to practice what I preach. So yeah, yeah. there's so many resources that I follow, like on my Instagram feed, there's this one page called the Nat Ministry that talks about like mm -hmm. the benefit, the spiritual or political uh, resistance that is the power of resting. Mm -hmm. So just really surrounding myself with voices, with people, with friends who remind me that it is necessary to rest and I don't have to earn my own rest. I don't have to earn relaxation. I don't have to earn rejuvenation. Um, but yeah, it's been a work in progress and it's still, still going. <laughs> that, 
you I don't I don't even know what 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 key to focus on. You gave so many and I think uh it's just I I feel like the the big thing that struck me was two things. It was when you said um that it doesn't make sense to advocate for like black women's bodies and kind of also neglect your own. Mm -hmm. uh, that hit hard. I was like, wait a minute, let me do some, I need to, after this, I'm going to do some reflection. Um, but I also think the the main thing was just, you don't have to earn your rest. You don't have to earn reju rejuvenation. And I think that um, I will give that our generation is more pushing towards that where it's like, no, we, we need to rest. And being able to rest is having that privilege to be able to say I'm going to rest mm -hmm. um, is reflective of all the work that our like previous ancestors have done to get us to this point mm -hmm. but also just across the board with communities of color of like we don't have to work ourselves like into the ground like we can rest and yeah. resting like the the work will still need to be done but you can go ahead and sit for 30 minutes and that's okay mm -hmm. um but yeah, okay. Last question. I'm so sad it has to end because this self-care thing, I should have made it all self-care. <laughs> you got so many gems. Um, so last question is, what are some daily or weekly self-care routines or habits that you have incorporated into your life? I love this. Tara, I love these two questions. OMG. Oof. Oof, oof, oof. I say number one is sleep. If you mm. know me, you know I don't compromise on sleep. You love it because you know it's very uh, true. Yeah, I feel like even throughout grad school, like at a certain time, I just need to sleep. Like I need my yeah. hours. I will be ineffective if I don't get my eight hours, and that's yeah. something I'm very protective over is my sleep. Yeah, I'll also say community. I feel like as something a lot of times in conversations around self care, of course, like spas, face masks, all of that, but also. Mm. Sometimes you can overlook the power of community, being around like-minded people, your people. Yep. Really making planned times with friends. Like I'm always a person like, hey, let's do this, let's do that. Like I really look forward to spending time with friends, family. That's another form of self-care, making sure I'm always able to see them, call them whenever I, I need them or am going through something, always right yeah. there. I'll say what else? Just hobbies in general. Like I love like hiking, being out in nature. Mm -hmm. I read back into crocheting that's a form of self-care for me and just like allowing like my inner child just to explore like if I want to go what did I do like take like a painting class or like yeah. travel there and just making time for things that bring me joy as much time as I schedule for like work and whatever school mm -hmm. that try to like balance it out yeah well I mean I'm so sad to say <laughs> goodbye but Thank you so much for uh, Mariah for coming and speaking on this podcast, giving your wisdom and your insight, and also just talking about some of the work you're doing. While also dropping some gems of other organizations for folks who want to do some a little research and find these organizations. They're great. Um, but yeah, thank y'all for listening to the Do the Change podcast, and I will see y'all soon. Thank you.